Appreciate it. Good morning, church. My name is Jim Kuntz. Uh, my wife, Amy, and I, we have been attending Faith Westwood here for the past eight years, members for the past seven. We have uh, two children. We have an 11-year-old uh, girl, uh, Allie. She is off at a softball tournament right now with uh, mom and brother in tow. And uh, James is soon to be six here in about 12, uh, yeah, 12 days. So, so you are probably sitting back there looking up here going, what in the world is that guy doing up there? Just for the record, so am I. <clears throat> um, Pastor Steve came to me a few, few months back and asked if I would be interested in, in sharing a message while he was out on, on vacation. And so it took me a couple weeks to think about it, and he prepped me by saying, you know, just go up there and talk about something you're really passionate about. So for the next 30 minutes, you guys are going to hear all you want to hear about North Carolina basketball. <laughs> well, not really, because then I really thought about it, and uh, Pastor Steve, in case you didn't know this, Pastor Steve and Trish are huge Kentucky Wildcat fans. Um, North Carolina happened to knock him out last year or two years ago with the last second shot, so I figured if I want to be welcome back in the worship center, I should probably choose something else to talk about. <clears throat> so, to be honest, I would really like to take this time on behalf of the VBS staff and the volunteers, um, Pete and repeat, uh, just, just to thank all of you for your generosity. Um, in case you do not remember, Pete and repeat were able to, to have a sleepover on top of Faith Westwood because of, we had over 200 children sign up for VBS. We also were able to collect over 100 bags accounting for all the materials needed for VBS because of your generous contributions and donations. So thank you. Yep. <clears throat> then on top of this, we've sent, you know, Holly came up here and talked about the Costa Rica teams. I believe we sent around four to five teams down to Costa Rica um, to serve as missionaries down there. We are touching, as you heard Holly say, we are touching many, many lives with this connection. And they just returned, and I cannot wait to hear more about what they have to say and, and what they have to share. And then there's the food pantry. I don't know about you guys, but every time I hear about the food pantry, I am amazed. I am amazed of what they do, how they do it, when they do it. We are touching so many other families, not just within the 68137, but in the entire metro area. And I am just amazed how they continue to do it. And a lot of it is, again, because of your generous donations and contributions. So thank you. <clears throat> we really are a generous church, and I am very convinced God will bless you all for your generosity. In the passage that Brian read today, it's a passage that fits well with God's generosity to us. This is the point made by the Apostle Paul in the last book of the Philippians. And as we go through, the, the text... The passage can be found on page 100 or uh, 1181. The joys of giving. Let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say about giving. Let's pray first, please. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to consider a promise that can sometimes be conflicting to our nature. Sometimes we tend to be a little stingy or, or maybe a little more like Scrooge. But you are teaching us it's good to be generous. Father, you are the true giver. We give what you have given us. 
but only you give what is yours and what is yours alone. Lord, we pray that you forgive our speaker today because his sins are many, and we also pray that you help us see Christ in all we do. Amen. So, word had reached the Philippians that the Apostle Paul was in trouble. Not only was he in jail, but he was in need. From my understanding, we, we don't know exactly what the need was, or how much money was needed, or how much money was given. What we learn is the church took up a collection and sent it to Paul. I assume someone did what we do today. Paul needed help, so someone stood up and said, we're going to pass the hat to help him out. So the hat was passed, the collection was gathered, hearts were revealed, and Paul ultimately was blessed. If you were to make a list of things that happened during the church service, I highly doubt the offering would rank very high up there for you. Maybe it would, but I would think you'd probably choose, you know, when we sing songs, maybe when the little angels come up and sing, maybe when the band plays, maybe it's one of Pastor Steve's wonderful sermons, but not many of us would list the offering as the high point of the service. But Paul might argue with us and urge us to reconsider. He helps us remember giving is an act of worship. He calls it a fragrance that appears in the presence of God. There is something special that happens when those buckets are passed. I think a few things that we can make out of this. First one is, we're all in, or I'm all in. When the buckets are passed and we participate in an offering, we are saying, I'm all in. We actually become what Paul calls at this point, partners. If I were to come to you today and say, hey, I'm starting a toothpick company, would you pray for it? You would probably pray for it. If I were to come to you in a couple weeks and say, you know what, I understand you're a savvy business person, okay? I'm starting this toothpick company, would you give me some business advice? you would probably say, yeah, let's, you know, I'll give you some advice, let's have lunch or let's have dinner. But if I were to come to you today, a few months after that and say, I'm giving you the opportunity for an investment, to invest in my toothpick company, to give me funds, to share a transaction. Well, at that point, one, I've probably crossed the line. But if you said yes, we are now partners of a toothpick company. This is the point Paul is making. The Philippians had proven they were partners with Paul. Verse 15, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. This is right after he states in verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. There is something about the act of giving that allows us, <laughs> that allows those who do to become partners. They're saying, I'm all in. We really are a blessed church. As I mentioned earlier, we've created a wonderful and welcoming church um, through our renovations and through the capital campaign. We have small groups that meet all over. We have children participating in fundraisers, mission trips outside the walls. We are really a blessed church. And we realize that we are blessed by God in order to be a blessing. 
We aren't blessed by God to be a sponge and keep, but so that God can continue to squeeze the blessings of His greatness out of us, we are reminded in the act of giving that God doesn't need what we have, but we need to give it so we do not learn to love it. God wants us to know that money is not our life. You are much more than the sum total of stuff. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6.25, first slide, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? In the times we live in, we could probably rephrase this. We could probably rephrase this by saying, is life not more than what we park in the garage or hang in our closet or wear on our fingers? How many of you know that we live in a world that tells us we are as good as what we own? Every day we have people telling us we will be happier if we own this, or we'll be happier if we have that. Did you know that on an average day, an average American will see 3,000 commercials during the day? That is 3,000 times during the day that somebody is telling you, you'll be happier if you have this, or you'll be happier if you have that and you need it right now. They're putting, uh, these are some of the most creative minds in America, the advertising world, and they're thinking, and all they are thinking is, how can we get into your pocket? Consequently, many of us suffer from what Dave Ramsey calls stuffititis. We think we need more stuff, and we equate our value to our stuff. And it takes incredible decision-making on our part to know that we are not the sum total of our stuff, and stuff will not make us happier. Now, psychologists are starting to get on board with this, um, and they are helping us understand that you can have a lot of stuff and not be as happy as a person with less stuff. Some years back, a, a psychology group did a study with two different groups of people. One group was a group of people who, had, who won the Illinois State Lottery. So they had won anywhere from $50,000 to a million dollars. They interviewed them on their level of happiness. Then they turned to a completely different population group, and these were people who had recently experienced catastrophic accidents. So they were either paraplegic or quadriplegic. Listen to this study. In interviews with the two groups, they were asked to rate the amount of pleasure they received by different activities, small but enjoyable activities, like chatting with a friend, watching TV, eating breakfast, laughing at a joke, or receiving a compliment. When the researchers analyzed the results, they found that the accident victims found a higher level of pleasure from these everyday activities than the lottery winners did. So in other words, more stuff does not guarantee our happiness. Now, to be clear, God is not anti-stuff, but God is anti-trusting stuff. He is anti the idea if you have more stuff, you will be more valuable. <clears throat> it's called materialism, and He wants our identity to depend upon Him, not upon what we wear or what we drive, or what we have in the bank. You are not better if you have a lot in the bank, and you're not better, better if you have less. God, 
God can meet the needs of our hearts, and our use of money really reveals how we depend upon him to do so. Paul states this in the next slide in Corinthians. We are co-workers in God's service. We are partners with God and invited to an enterprise far beyond toothpicks. So here's the invitation that God gives us. I'm building a new kingdom. Would you pray for it? Yes, sir. I'm building a new kingdom. Would you use your gifts to advance it? Oh, yes, sir. I'm building a new kingdom. Would you be willing to invest in it? When we say yes there, that is when we become partners with the gospel. And we say, I'm all in. Paul also had the understanding that every time we invest in the kingdom, that investment was being registered in our eternal home. Imagine that you're living in the South during the Civil War, and through a series of events, you became convinced the South was going to lose. But you also happen to hold large amounts of Confederate currency. What would you do? I assume you would put every bit of your currency into the currency that is to come. That would be preparing yourself for the end of the war. Now, we need to be doing the same thing. Whether the economy appears healthy or unhealthy, there is coming a day the money in your bank account will absolutely be worthless to you. Whether you die or Christ comes first, that money will be worthless. Now, if you and I stockpile only earthly treasures and not heavenly treasures, what does that really say about our faith? So here is my investment tip, okay? I do not give investment tips. I am not a financial advisor. I do not have a Series 7, 63, 65, whatever else may be needed to give investment tips. I do not hold them, okay? But here is my one and only investment tip. Invest in heaven. That's my tip. It's kind of like I have insider information, but please do not go out and tell the SEC, okay? The investments in the world to come, they're growing. This is why Paul applauded the generosity of the church in Philippi and why my wife and I are so happy to be a part of this church and applaud all of you for your generosity. Look what Paul says in verse 17. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Look at that word credited. It's kind of like Paul knows something. It's kind of like he's reading some stock report. But really what he is reading is he's reading God's report. Here's what Jesus said in the next slide in Mark. I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields in the age to come, eternal life. So God promises to take your investments, your donations, your offerings, and multiply them 100 times. Now again, I'm not a financial advisor, nor was I a math major, okay? But when I look at that, so somebody's going to have to help me with my math, but is that 10,000% interest? Have you ever seen anyone offer at 10,000% interest on your investment? Now, 
I know that there are some people out there where this investment probably has come true. Maybe it has not come true in terms of money. Maybe it has. Maybe it has come true in terms of love or peace or friendship or community or purpose in life or family. We tend to see prosperity defined in dollars and cents. But from God's perspective, prosperity is defined in millions of ways. Everything from the sun touching your heart to a song being sung. He blesses us. He makes us rich. He promises to increase what we give him financially, emotionally, spiritually. He gives us this promise on the next slide in Proverbs. A generous man will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And this one from Luke on the next slide. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Have you ever met a happy, stingy person? I'm pretty sure I was this person at one point in my life. But the people that are generous are just the happiest people. It might have something to do with this last verse. Jesus says, the measure you give to others, that's the measure God will give to you. So imagine this. I have five measuring cups that are lined up up here. I've got one that's really large, and I'll slide all the way down to a really tiny one. Now, God says, the measuring cup you use to dispense your kindness, your love, your blessings, the measuring cup you use to give to somebody else, that is the very one I am going to use when I dispense my blessings upon you. So which one are you going to use? I know for me, I'm going to reach down and I'm going to grab the largest cup that's there. So it's no wonder that generous people are so happy and stingy people are unhappy because all they are getting is that tiny cup. You know, to me, one other thing also happens at the time of offering. Not only are you saying, I'm all in, but you're also dedicating your heart. Some time ago, a lady slipped into a large church unnoticed. There were so many people coming and going that no one noticed her. After all, she only took up one spot. Was it that long ago that her family took up the entire row at church? But her husband passed away and her children grew up. Well, now she is all alone. No one noticed the lady in the back row. However, Everyone noticed the well-dressed man in the front row with a huge following. He had been escorted into the building and with loud applause was welcomed into the worship center. After all, this was the big day. The day the man was going to write a big check to pay off the church building. So they sat him in the front row. She sat in the back. He came by limo. She came by city bus. He stood and waved. 
She sat back and smiled. And when the plate came his way, he reached into his pocket and he removed the check. He waved it up in the air so everyone could see it. And then he dropped it into the plate to a loud applause. Everybody noticed. Nobody noticed the lady in the back. She had no check to give, no paper to wave. She only had an envelope with a meager amount of cash, some money from her pension, not enough to save the budget or pay off the building. But what she had was enough to reveal her heart. And when that plate came her way, she said, Lord, it's not much, but it's all I have, and I want you to know I love you. She then dropped the money into the plate. No one noticed. No one, that is, except Jesus. Because according to the parable, he was watching. He saw her enter. He saw her take her seat. He saw her open her purse. He saw her open her heart. And when she dropped her offering into the plate, in the next slide, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. In the parable of the poor widow, Jesus is teaching us it's not the amount of the gift, but, it's, but the sincerity of the heart. What matters most is not the amount of the gift, but the love and the openness and the tenderness of the heart. A reluctant gift is not a received gift by God. He loves a cheerful giver. It is a sincere gift that gets his attention. Paul said in verse 18, the gifts are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. So, you want to bring a fragrant offering up to God? Well, do so with your singing. He loves our, he loves our worship songs. Do so with your prayers. He loves our prayer time. Do so with your volunteering. He loves VBS helpers, and so does Leah. Do so in the times of communion as we think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do so in the sermon when we open our scripture and we consider his word. But do not underestimate what happens when those buckets are passed. It may seem mundane and it may seem routine to us, but it is important to God. It's a time when a fragrant offering is offered up into heaven, and in response, he gives us this promise in verse 19 of the passage. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for teaching us to be generous, and we want to be even more so. We know it's hard because we think about our stuff, and our stuff is our own identity. But Lord, you are our identity, and we ask that you help us to continue to see this. In your Son, Jesus' name, amen.